0: All right, take out your Hark the Herald Angel Sing. And I'm not going to sing. I know y'all will be happy about that. Um, I'm thinking, I was thinking about where we are in Romans and where we are in this season, this Christmas season. And one of the beautiful things, especially about hymns, you know, they were written to teach doctrine, to be praise and worship, but to teach doctrine. And so I want us to take a look at, first, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by Charles Wesley. And we're going to look at some of the themes that we've seen in Romans. And one thing I hope that you are doing, I I find myself doing this in worship. As we sing worship songs, I reflect on what we're learning in doctrine, and I see pieces of it in worship songs. And so um, in this song by Charles Wesley, the original title was Hark how all the Welkins sing, okay? And the <laughs> that was my thought exactly, the look on y'all's faces. <laughs> the Welkin uh, meant the heavens are creation, which refers back to Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And Charles Whitfield changed it to Hark the, Uh, herald angels sing and by the way angels don't ever sing in the bible let me just bring that out so that that's a that's a whole myth in there but it was really about nature singing and it's interesting that you find that in some of the christmas hymns you know and it and if you remember correctly, you think back when we were talking about even nature groaning and the tie between the curse and all of that and redemption. So I'm just going to go through some of We're going to read through this very quickly, and I want us to think about, I'm just going to hit some high points of some of the themes. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Romans 5.11, reconciliation. Joyful. All ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Verse 2. This, this, this stanza is all about the incarnation. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Okay, he is God. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. So there's the God-man and um both parts of his character hail the incarnate deity pleased with us in flesh to dwell jesus our emmanuel which means god with us hail the heavenly prince of peace he brings peace hail the son of righteousness that's coming from malachi 4 2 light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die. Romans five, twelve through twenty-one. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. He makes us alive, Romans six five. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. He dwells within us. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. All right. Bruising us the serpent's head, Romans six, sin shall not be your master. You put to death the sinful nature by the Spirit. We saw that in Romans six. Now display thy saving power. He gives us the power to defeat Satan and our flesh. Ruined nature now restored, that's Romans eight, nature's groaning to be restored. And then, now in mystic union join, thine to ours and ours to thine. You remember Romans 5 when we talked about mystic union, of how we have a union in Adam in some way because of the sin, and then we have a union in Christ, and we can't fully understand that, how that union happens, but the argument was because we are united in Adam because all die, so obviously somehow we're united in Adam and we can be united in Christ. Verse verse 5, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. That's Romans 5 again. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. We're talking about that tonight, Romans 8. Let us thee, the lost, regain. Let me get to the next page. Thee, the life, the inner man. O to all, thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. We are in Christ, ladies. And so you see the depth of the doctrine in these Christmas carols that teach the beauty and all the aspects of what it meant with Christmas, with the incarnation, which was just the beginning of of God bringing about the gospel. And then very quickly, joy to the world. Um, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. There you go. That's our part. And heaven and nature sing. It's so interesting. A lot of a lot of these guys are writing about nature singing. Okay, it's not the angels singing. It's nature singing. Maybe we should go out in nature a little more and listen to some of that music, ladies. I think that might be a good thing. Um, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Then we need to be singing. While fields and floods, rock, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. So there you go. Nature's singing again. No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. There you go. He reverses the curse, ladies. He rules the world with truth and grace. Found that in John 1. Makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. We are the trophies of his righteousness, ladies, because we have been given his righteousness. And it ends with wonders of his love, which leads us to where we are tonight. And I pray that these eight chapters and how Paul concludes tonight stun you for all that Christ is for us. The magnificence of his love is beyond all that we can comprehend. But when we are captivated by his love, and when we are strengthened by his love, then we can become those women and people that give glory to God. Um, I like looking at Christmas carols because they're around us, even though we don't hear a lot of the traditional ones. But God's love is such a firm place to stand. And so in this chapter, chapter 8, which is a chapter on assurance, and I appreciated so much testimony about how Romans has given you assurance. What we have seen is we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have the spirit living of us, giving us power to put sin to death. We have the spirit interceding for us. We have the spirit of sonship. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. But then the question would come, well, what about suffering then, if this is all great for us? And then we learned also in this chapter that our suffering does not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Um, And then last week we saw the massive, all-encompassing promise that all things work together for good to those who are called, who love God and are called according to his purpose. And the foundation for that is that we have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That is God's work. We saw it's all God's work. And then the question becomes, so who can be against us? And it feels like a lot of people and things can be against us because God is for us, he said. And the only two who could really be against us would be God and Christ and the very two ones who justify us and stand for us. So we end with the promise that he didn't spare his own son. Would he not freely give us all things? And so we saw last week the all things. All things work together for good. Will he not along with him give you all things? The power of the all things. Greatness of our assurance because Christ is ours and he loves us. So then the question arises, okay then, if all of this is because Christ is ours and he loves us, what if something separates us from that love of Christ? What if something comes between us? Then we don't have assurance. So Paul starts tonight in verse 35 with answering that question. So let's go to Romans 8 and start with verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to slaughter. All of these challenges that he talks about, every item in this list is an external testing. It's not an internal temptation. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. They were very real challenges for the early church, living in that environment, especially under the Roman government. Persecution, obviously, for, for their beliefs. Uh, famine was a very real thing at different times. Nakedness could represent the great poverty. You know, we all have so many clothes, but clothes was a very huge piece of wealth for people. And so to not have clothes really spoke to their poverty. It could also be a symbol of vulnerability, need, or shame, humiliation, humiliation. And even Paul himself in that in that passage in Second Corinthians um, 11, where he went through, I read this the other day, and because of time, I'm not going to read it tonight, where he talks about all the things he had suffered. Nakedness was one of the things on there. And so uh, it was a very real thing. I mean, in, in our culture, it's really not something you suffer. It's pretty much what a lot of people do to celebrate themselves these days. I don't know. It's a whole different thought. But nevertheless... Um, The sword, a symbol of power, authority, conflict, division, but it also was how they were often executed. Their heads cut off. That's what happened to Paul. His head was cut off. These real experiences might tempt anyone and shake their commitment to Christ and doubt, you know, Christ's love for them. But then when Paul quotes Psalm 44, 22, he is going back and he's bringing out, Led like sheep to slaughter, and I want to bring out a couple of things in this quote uh, from Psalm 44. Uh, Notice that it brings the life-threatening circumstance: we are led like sheep to slaughter. So there was a very real experience to have life-threatening circumstances, especially for these early believers, because of their allegiance to Christ. Because it says, "For your sake," and. Whenever And, you know, most of us don't deal with that. I don't know what the future is going to hold here. But the reality is, for them, it was a very real thing. And the reality is, eventually, it may be for us as well. Because as followers of Christ, on different levels, our life is going to be patterned after his. And we should not be surprised if it comes to that as a believer. We need to have a clear understanding. And it said that we are considered... um, as sheep to slaughter are reckoned, and that that takes us back. And I want to. Ta- I'm going to read to you um, the suffering servant passage in Isaiah fifty three seven. It says, "Yet what he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent. He did not open his mouth." So if th- if that's what Christ had to suffer. If we're walking in his footsteps, we've got to be ready and not be shocked if it comes to that. And we're so weak that we complain if somebody doesn't like us because we're a Christian. So one of the goals of God's word and these truths is to strengthen us and give us a clear perspective of what the Lord's calling us to. But he says um, in here, and in, um, let me get back over to my verses No, okay, he's already asked the question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, there's several things to point out in that very short verse. Um, In all these things, the love of Christ is not only incapable of being severed by circumstances, it's actually the means of triumphing over them. So the love of Christ is not going, you're, it's not going to be severed because of the circumstances. The love of Christ is what is going to help you triumph. In all these things, you are more than conquerors. And it's not running away from these things, it's in these things. Whatever the suffering, persecution, hardship, that, you know, they're, they're real things, but they're representative of the difficulties of this life. So you don't have to be, when those difficulties come, they're not going to separate you. They're, they're actually going to be the opportunity, Christ's love, instead of going away, will give you the power to overcome them, okay? And notice, in all these things, here we are again, ladies, in the all things, just like we were last time. So, here's the truth. Victory comes not by escaping suffering, but by living through them with the help of God. Victory comes, in other words, to be a conqueror, to be more than a conqueror. Victory comes not by escaping suffering, but by living through them with the help of God. In all these things, you are more than conquerors through him. Who loved us? So many people try to escape suffering. They use drugs. They use alcohol. They use sleep. They use distraction. They use sex. They even use suicide. I had a cousin with Alzheimer's, lovely, one of the loveliest people ever, and I didn't know this until it was about to happen that he flew to Switzerland and did a physician-assisted suicide. He and his family had all agreed on that to escape the suffering that they would have to walk through. Victory comes not by escaping suffering, but by living through them or sufferings, let me by living through them with the help of God. And then here's another truth, and it's similar to evidently one I've said before that y'all talked about earlier. God has good purposes for us in suffering, and we are more than conquerors in it. God has good purposes for us in suffering and we are more than conquerors. But then the question is how? How are you more than a conqueror in suffering? How do you conquer in suffering? You conquer in suffering when you make the suffering contribute to your conscious profession of Christ's love. Because it's through him who loved us. Everything that drives me to Jesus and makes me feel my need of him and helps me rest in his unchanging, steadfast, has said love for me. Everything that drives me to him is conquered by me, no matter how painful it may be. It serves my highest good because my highest good is to know him, to love him and glorify him. So I conquer when it drives me to Christ and I feel his love And I trust him. The crazy thing is that the more of this world's goods we have, the more ease and comfort we have, the less we experience the depth of his love. We become dulled to the inner spiritual part of us because we're so satisfied with the external. It's a deception. We think the external is what we want, but it does not, it dulls our sense of our need for the Lord. Alexander McLaren, uh, an an older preacher that I love, said this. He said it this way. Has the world helped me lay hold of Christ? Then I have conquered it. Has the world loosened my grasp on him? Then it has conquered me. I just loved that. He says things so well. But it says we're more than conquerors. That means by a wide margin, we're a conqueror, okay? Okay. Now, let's be real. Doesn't really feel like it a lot of the time, does it? That we're conquerors by a wide margin. Sometimes I feel like I like a hair's breadth I'm hanging on and conquering. Okay, but this is truth, and we have to counsel our heart according to truth. That what our feelings are are not always what's true. All right. Um, here's another truth. Oh, no! I'll get to that in a minute. Then Paul continues. Now, notice, notice. There's a shift. There's a shift after he says all these things and says no in all these things. Then in 38, notice what he says. He says, for I am convinced. All right, he has shifted to the first person. He has now moved from the argument to the testimony. And there's a place for both. Yes, you need to lay out truth and be able to argue what's true, but you also need to be able to give testimony. And that's what he's doing here. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul uses cosmic realities extremes to make his point. Death and life basically it covers everything, but he keeps going. Angels and demons, the spiritual world. I and mean, some people walk around very afraid of demons, okay. Present and future, time. And remember God is outside of time, He is the I am. And then he throws in there, which a lot of commentators think that it's kind of remote, any powers. I guess if there was any thought of any other power, and but keep in mind that they're living under the power of the Roman government. So power was a very real problem in their lives. Any powers. Height nor depth, space. And that kind of reminds you of Psalm 139 where David writes, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the heavens, if I go to Sheol, you're there. Okay? Or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ. So here's your truth. The love of God is unrighteous unaffected by the extreme of change that can happen to us. The love of God is unaffected by the extremes of change that can happen to us. The love of God is unaffected by the extremes of change that can happen to us. Death is the great separator, but it cannot separate you from the love of God. The destiny of God's people is assured. This is the meaning, the practical meaning of being foreknown and predestined. You don't have to worry about your destiny. So we not only have the all things that we learned last week, but this week we have the no things, the no things that can separate you from God. But being in Christ is the key. In Christ, all things work for our good. In Christ, we have all things. In Christ, we are secure because no things can separate us from him. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is your portion forever. Nothing can separate you from him. And so I want to ask you, Is he your strength or are you your strength? Is he your portion and are you satisfied with him? The goal of this assurance, the goal of this chapter, ladies, is to set you free. To set you free from the dread of death. To set you free from the distractions of life. To set you free from the superstitions of the unseen world. To set you free from the fear of man to set you free from your absorption in the present, and to set you free from your worry about the future. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23 says, All things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All of them belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to use it because you belong to him. This should be stunning to us, and it should change how we live. And I want to give you one of my favorite all-time quotes by J.I. Packer. He says, The life of true holiness, for us to live in true holiness, is rooted in the soil of odd adoration. It does not grow elsewhere. In other words, Trying to live a holy life because it's something that you feel like you should do is not going to be effective. Holiness flows out of being in love with Jesus Christ and in awe of him. And I don't know what would make you love him more than what we have seen in Romans. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Nothing can separate you. On and on and on it goes. And so the beauty of all of this is that everything starts with him and ends with him. But it's hard for us to get our mind around that because he's so magnificent. And so it's a lifelong pursuit. Honestly, ladies, it's going to be a pursuit of all eternity, learning more about the beauty of who he is. And so I want to leave us tonight with a prayer that, that Paul prayed for the Ephesians And I'm going to read this out loud, but I'm going to read it as a prayer over us. As we finish up, and I just pulled out my marker, um, finish up this section of Romans, and we end with the beautiful picture of nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so let me just read this, and this will be my prayer for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit and your inner being, so that—why do you need to be strengthened with power? So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power— Together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? You know it and you're filled and you just keep knowing it. What a beautiful prayer that we should pray for ourselves and one another because ultimately it's for God's glory because from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen let's pray oh god we thank you that we are trophies of your grace god we pray that you give us a passion for you give us eyes to see give us the strength in our inner man to grasp a love that surpasses knowledge help us to do that lord to fall in love with you to be stunned by who you are And that, God, it would change us. It would change our appetites, our thoughts, our choices, the things that we do, the motives behind the things we do, Lord, that we would bring you glory in the seen and the unseen parts of us, Lord, in ways that um, we could never imagine. We pray that you would do it more and more, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.